I remember this clearly walking around the plant one day when the lights were off and everyone had gone home and I'm looking at these machines and thinking about the people working here and the craftsmen that the decades of experience they have, what can they, what else can they do? What can they do? And I came up with a product that Disney ended up buying, which was a fine art piece, all engraved, 10 passive in, of engraving of, uh, of the Lion King was that when Lion King first came out, we did the Lion King, a series of, of artwork for Disney. And then I went to Hanna-Barbera and Universal and I saw, showed them what these guys were doing and they all bought it. And I could charge a tremendous markup on artwork versus a letterhead. And so we made a ton of money on that. I had a wow. great run at it and kept the shop very, very busy during the 90s when that was going on, when the demand for our other product was going down. Wow. Wow. So you remade the business, found found a great niche, realized, hey, this niche is valuable not only to one customer, but to others, others as well. Welcome to My Company Story. It's a show by business owners about business owners. I'm your host, Don Burge. In each episode, we'll explore the challenges business owners face and how they've overcome them. I am here with Bill Black from the Exit Coach Radio, and I've asked Bill to come and interview me as a guest host today on My Company Story. So, uh, Bill, welcome. Hi, Don. Thanks so much for having me today. It's a real sure. pleasure, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be your, your guest host here on your show. I'm excited uh, to, to learn more about uh, what what you're up to. And I, th- I thought it would be interesting, Don, if we started off with just a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your background and your exp- your business experience and why you think you'll be a, a good show host. All right. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I um, I've, for 30 years, I owned and ran a, a printing company in the LA area and grew it to a pretty good size and, and sold it uh, about four years ago now. And then I retired and I thought, well, I want to, I can't, I'm too young to not do anything. My wife said, you got to get out of the house. <laughs> and so, I, uh, I had been a Vistage member during the time that I was growing my company, and I just loved the experience. I love what Vistage was doing for entrepreneurs and the fellowship and the knowledge I gained. So I contacted Vistage and said, hey, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be a, a Vistage coach if you have room for me. Sure. And they said, sure. Came down, did some training with that, and that was uh, two years ago, started a Vistage group. And I just love being engaged in helping other business owners and entrepreneurs help each other. There's a real need for that. Uh, and then uh, just this year, I decided to start this My Company Story podcast because I found that business stories, every business owner has a story and they love to get their stories out there. And once their stories are out there, it changes the public perception of business owners. We're, we're maligned in the press and on the media, and we've got real struggles that we've overcome and we provide a great economic engine for the uh, for the country. And so that's why I love getting story out there. And that's why I started the podcast. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think a lot of uh, interesting stories come out of how a business gets started. So how did you get started in your business uh, that, that you ran for many years? Well, uh, actually, my grandfather started the business. It was a family business. My grandfather started a printing company in the 20s, an engraving company, when people bought printing. Printing was about the only way you could communicate when you were a business. Ah, the then. good old days. Yeah, the good old days. And actually, he worked for he was the one of the first employees of Joyce Hall from Hallmark back in Kansas City, but came out to 
Los Angeles and Kansas City and then brought his craft with him and designed logos for uh, companies in the 20s and 30s in Los Angeles. Wow. And then that became an engraving company then that my that my father took over after World War II. And uh, I, I grew up in a household of entrepreneurs. And I knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, run my own company. And the last thing I wanted to do, my brothers or I wanted to do, was to go into dad's company because dad had that company. And that's the last thing I want to do. Yep. But then working uh, after graduating from school and working in the advertising business for a while, I thought, you know what? There's a company with my name on the door down the street. I'm going to go talk to that owner and see if I can work there and buy him out. And that was my dad. So that's how I got into the company. And how old were you when you first started uh, emptying the trash cans and sweeping the floors? Well, I did that in high school, of course. Okay. You know, I high did school. all of the okay. all, uh, summer jobs around the print shop and doing all the filing and all the menial jobs like that. And that's why I decided I don't want that job. But as I grew and I realized how valuable a, an established business already is, it was a fantastic opportunity that I, I'm glad I took up on. And, and and I remember this clearly, having lunch with my dad saying, you know, would you be interested in, in me coming to work here uh, if I could buy you out, uh, you know, fairly, re if it works out? He goes, absolutely, come on over. So that's what happened. Probably was always hoping you would say that, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that point of life is very difficult for a lot of business owners to think of. It, do do I want to impose upon my kids to come into my business and yep. have them take it over? But you hit the nail on the head there. It's tough out there when a lot of young people, even with good college degrees, go out and try to find jobs out there. Uh, they or or think they might want to start a business today. It's very tough. So that family business sometimes becomes a lot more attractive once they've gotten out and gotten beaten up a little bit. Absolutely. Bill, it, it becomes very attractive when you look at the options that you have available for you out there. And you have to have the right kind of personality and the right kind of gumption. I mean, as you know, running a small business is not an easy thing. It's not for the faint of heart. And you have to have a passion for it and a passion for what that business is. Otherwise, you won't be sustained to, go, to keep it going. Yeah. And it's, uh, again, it's a, the statistics are, and I, I've interviewed a lot of mergers and acquisitions specialists and business brokers on my show, the statistics are pretty daunting for the business owners that own businesses today that only about one out of 10 that in, that wants to sell will sell to an outsider. So they really have to look at those alternative uh, means and, and avenues available to them, you do. to insiders. So uh, with that now, you, again, your business, what happened with the, your business when it was time for, for you to pass it on. Well, I mean, the, the, the printing, the, when I bought the business from my dad, 95% of what we did was a letterhead and an envelope. And that was in the, mm. uh, that was in the mid eighties. And all of a sudden with the internet and Gmail, no one was buying that anymore. Yeah. And so I had all these equipment and all these people that I, that I bought and that I'm running and, and responsible for. And, and no one, no customers are wanting what we make anymore. Mm. So I really had to figure out what can we do? And, uh, I'm very clearly, we made a direct, a, a decision to go into the fine engraved market, which we were always in and doing a very, very beautiful product, which there was a demand for that. But then that became increasingly less demanding. And so I looked, I remember this clearly walking around the plant one day when the lights were off and everyone had gone home and I'm looking at these machines and thinking about the people working here and the craftsmen that the decades of experience they have, what, can they, what else can they do? What can they do? And I came up with a product that Disney ended up buying, which was a fine art piece, all engraved, 10 passive in, of engraving of, uh, of The Lion King. Was the, When Lion King first came out, we did The Lion King, a series of, of artwork for Disney. And then I went to Hanna-Barbera 
Rivera and Universal, and I saw, showed them what these guys were doing, and they all bought it. And I could charge a tremendous markup on artwork versus a letterhead. And so we made a ton of money on that. I had a wow. great run at it. It kept the shop very, very busy during the 90s when that was going on, when the demand for other product was going down. Wow. Wow. So you remade the business, found found a great niche, realized, uh, hey, this niche is valuable not only to one customer, but to others others as well. That's right. And at, at that point, did you say, well, uh, party's over in the 90s? What, hap what happened <laughs> well, when, when that? Exactly, Bill. I mean, the party's over in the 90s, but during the 90s, or actually late 80s, and then the early 90s when the internet came out, and so Gmail and, and websites, and that was cutting into the printing industry's uh, dominance at that time. And so instead of fighting it, I, we figured out, I went up to San Francisco, and I was one of the first customers of a small startup company that was building an interface for clients to order their cards, business cards, and stationery online. And it, and I, I helped fund them and work with them very very closely and they were brilliant they were literally in their garage in San Francisco you know starting this company up and work with them to uh, develop an interface so my clients could order on the internet which they loved and no one was doing that offering that to them at that time and it enabled us to become go from a local firm to a national firm so we picked up accounts in New York AOL for example one of our accounts based in New York City and other ones around the country that we would never have had a chance to grow into that market unless we were one of the forefronts of doing the internet ordering. Wow. So you really put the internet technology, you know, that's, I think that's a hard thing for a lot of business owners to adapt to is to realize that they are, um, if, if they, if they confine their product offerings, but expand their market using the internet, they might get a lot further than, than just being on Main Street these right. days, right? Exactly. You can't be on Main Street anymore. That, 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 those days are gone. At least for us, it was gone. <laughs> But then the other thing I found out that is that even with that, though, the market was still shrinking. I mean, hmm. corporations were not buying the letterheads and envelopes, which was our product, which is our profitable line anymore. They were buying business cards, but it's hard to make a good profit on a two by three and a half piece of paper. You know? <laughs> right. So we had to sell a lot of them. So what we did is that other, I figured other printing companies were in the same struggle that I was having. So I went over and offered to buy up other companies. And so we would merge and we would grow by, uh, by rolling up other companies within our organization. And strategically, we did that to become the largest engraved stationary manufacturer in the world, eventually, by the time we were finished. And that was done with the intent of being attractive to someone else much bigger than me that was rolling up graphic arts companies. And when I decided to that I wanted to sell and get out of this business, and I didn't want to burden my son with, uh, with, the, with having to, come on, Dad, I got to come into your company. So I didn't want to do that. I said, all right, what am I going to do? And I identified someone else out there uh, who owns the uh, Minnesota uh, Timberlakes and, or Timberwolves and, and uh, has been rolling up other companies. And I hired someone that worked for him that had just retired whose job it was to acquire other printing companies. And so I hired Ed. Ed Alvarez was his name. I hired Ed. I said, Ed, come in here. And what do I need to do to make myself as profitable as possible to Neil Taylor? 
And so I said, this is what you need to do. Make your company look like this. And that's what we did for, for three, four years. We started working on that plan to become an attractive acquisition. So the, the roll-up strategy of buying smaller companies at lower multiples to make yourself more attractive to a strategic buyer who will buy you at higher multiples really paid off for you. And that's a great strategy. But it sounds like you were ahead of your time a little bit in that you had a, a, a strategy coach for being a, a successful strategic sale target. Correct. And Bill, I, I've got to credit my Vistage group. When I was in the 90s, I was a member of Vistage and we heard a speaker and that speaker told a story about tow truck companies that were doing just that. They were rolling up other companies to be attractive to the largest national tow truck company. And the light went off in my head saying, oh, that's what I can do. I know how to get out of this game now. I can do it that way. So I really got to credit it to Vistage and to the experience that I heard there. So now you talk a lot about Vistage, and I'm, I'm familiar with Vistage. I'm a member as well. Uh, it's a fantastic organization. But for those who might be listening who aren't familiar with what Vistage is all about, what is Vistage all about? And, and uh, how, did, how do you work into it being a chair and what, what's in it for members to join? Yeah, good good question, Bill. Vistage is a, an organization. It's, a, it's an international organization of 22,000 members of business owners and CEOs. Around and growing. The, or and growing <laughs> around the world. But it's broken into small groups of a dozen to 18 uh, business owners, in my case, business owners that get together once a month. Uh, we get together for a half a day and we work on each other's issues and problems and challenges. And every business owner uh, has generally, they don't have enough time, they don't have enough money, they don't have, uh, they need uh, advice making better decisions. And there's really no one else in their life to talk to besides other business owners. So we get together in a very confidential setting and we share and we help one another with our issues and our problems. And we bring in speakers every now and then for that also. So that's what, in the, at the essence, that's really what Vistage is. It's a it's a mentoring coaching. It's lonely at the top. Very lonely. And, and uh, confidentiality is a key component of all of that. So whatever you say to that group, and you, have, you do have a person like yourself who acts as a chair uh, what is what does a chair do exactly in a meeting like that? What, why is it valuable? So what I do in the meeting is, is I, 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 I direct the conversation and really there's a there's a wonderful formula that Vistage has come up with with really identifying a problem, presenting the problem to the group, getting the group to ask that individual pointed questions about, his issue that he's bringing up and really diving into what's going on. And sometimes, quite often, it gets very deep and it goes into, um, you know, what's going on in, in your background that is making you make decisions this way or you're fearful of what happening. And you really get to some points that you go deeper, almost in psychotherapy, so to speak, but nothing like, you know, but mm -hmm. in that direction that really helps you uncover as a business owner how you're in your own way. And if you identify what those issues are preventing you from moving forward, you could do something about it. And that's the breakthrough moment for a lot of Vistage members when they say, I didn't realize I was that way. I didn't realize that when I was growing up, I felt responsible for my brothers and sisters. And that's why I feel responsible for my employees now. And I can't let them go because they're like family. It's all of those types of things that you recognize that and you can become a better leader once you recognize it and know how to act on that. That's fantastic. And then they also have like one-on-one -on -one conversations with you as well, right? As part of the curriculum where they can, you can, you can help them with some of the issues that maybe they brought up during a meeting. Exactly, Bill. I meet with every member. Then 
in uh, in between the meetings uh, for an hour and a half, and we go over what's going on in your company, what issues may you maybe bring up to the group next time we get together, mm -hmm. and a big part what they tell me is accountability. I'll co I'll come to them and say, look, you said you were going to talk to that sales manager this week. Did you do that? And why didn't you do that? Or if you did do that, how did that go? And I find that they tell me that no one else in their life is doing that for them because they're the boss. They're at the mm -hmm. top of the pyramid. Right. Their right. wife's not going to do it. And they don't <laughs> want their wife to do it, you know, or, or husband. And they're not employees or vendors. And no one else in their life is going to hold them accountable uh, except the bank at the extreme end of things. But I'm there to say, look, you told us you would do this. Are you doing it? Did you do it? Why not? And what, let's talk about that. Yeah. And there's, of course, there's other groups out there that are peer groups for, for business owners. But one of the things that sets Vistits apart, as, I, as far as I could see, is they have a, a top-notch speakers bureau of, of speakers that come from all over the country to speak to your group. And then they have executive summits where where members get together as well. What are those uh, assets look like? Right. They're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Bill, we had last month, we had a, a speaker come out from South Carolina who was also a Vistage member. And now he's speaking on finding your why. Uh, and he was he just he, really looking at your legacy that you're going to leave behind. How do you want to be remembered? And really getting our members to really think deeply about themselves and about why they're doing what they're doing and really what they want to leave behind when they're no longer here. So he was an outstanding speaker, spoke us for four hours uh, on that subject. And then coming up in October, uh, there is a Vistage Exchange Summit in Los Angeles where all of the Vistage chairs and groups, uh, there are about, well, I think 30 or so of us in the LA area are getting together at downtown LA and we're having a panel of speakers and then breakout forums. There are forums for people to go into the family business forum, the manufacturing forum, and see their peers who are like them who are in other groups who have the shit, same kind of issues and problems going on. And what, the other thing that's interesting is they have certain um, vendors or experts in th areas like economics, a human resources Correct. that that put on webinars and and talk at some of those those uh, large forum groups as well. Correct. And the interesting thing that I think about Vistage is it's becoming known as a in an information resource in major periodicals like Inc. Magazine mm -hmm. and Wall Street Journal because when they survey their members, they get back a lot of very good responses. And it's hard to get responses from people on surveys these yep. days. It's very true, Bill. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal has teamed up with, and Inc. Magazine have teamed up with Vistage. Because if you think about it, the, the their members, my members, are are in the trenches. They're running a company. Their pulse, their livelihood is wrapped up in what they're doing. And they're the ones that know which way the wind's blowing and what's happening out there, how our policies are being affected, what what regulations are being are affecting them, good and or bad. And so getting those answers right from the horse's mouth, so to speak, is is invaluable. And the Wall Street Journal and Inc. magazine have both realized that and teamed up with Vistage to get those answers. It's very interesting. It's a great group. Now uh, let's go back to your podcast for okay. a second. So who who, who are you uh, expecting to interview and what do you what kind of information do you hope to pull out of these these folks well I, st I started the podcast because I realized that really I couldn't find I love listening to podcasts by the way you have a great podcast oh, by the way you. Bill I really recommend if anyone listening to go to the <laughs> e exit coach radio 
Bellsradio.com. Thank you very and much. Listen to Bell's uh, podcast. But I, I've always loved podcasts. It's, they're a great way to get information. And I looked for one where people would interview business owners and talk about their challenges and how they've overcome them. And I have been doing that in the last two, three years when I've been talking to business owners about Vistage. And I realized that there's a great wealth of knowledge out there about business owners and what they've done. And other business owners can can benefit from hearing those challenges of the challenge I had, for example, that I just told you about a few minutes ago and how I overcame some of those problems. Those stories are out there. And business owners, I feel uh, a lot of them like to share what they've learned. And here's a form to do it. Yes. And of course, within the Vistage group format, I'll go back to that for a second. That's part of what everybody does. Do you think that there's any concerns about, uh, uh, well, I don't want to tell anybody what my trade secrets or any of those types. How do you, how do you hope to uh, circumvent that, that fear for, for potential guests? Well, I, 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 we talk before we do an interview on the radio, we talk about areas that we don't want to talk about and areas we do want to talk about. So a lot of the uh, podcast is for the guest. It's for the guest to send out to his uh, his vendors, his, his potential customers on his website, to his audience. And so we talk about what does he want to have heard. And then we talk about what would be interesting that you could share that you've learned that other business owners would want to hear and talk about. And so we go into those areas. We don't go into any secret sauce or what the, you know, what the magic Coke formula is. We don't do that kind of thing on here. That's left for our Vistage meetings, if someone becomes a member of, of a Vistage group, that's where you can talk about that. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, but we're in this age of, I'm going to call it humanization, where uh, business owners uh, and other people of influence want to appear more human Right. And that's what the whole social media is all about is, is basically, hey, uh, we don't always have to talk about business per se, but let me tell you about the way we do business and our culture. Th those are a lot of areas that business owners could share on your on your podcast, it seems like. Absolutely. And that's part of the part of the reason I believe that in the press and the media, business owners have always been, you know, villainized and they don't know. And they, they, if somebody goes to work, they look at the boss, they see him driving the Cadillac into work and he's you know, got all this and that going on. He doesn't realize the risk that that person has put up. Right. All of his net worth has been on the line. He's got so much to lose. And and you lose the human factor of that and how valuable, how much he cares about his employees, how much he cares about, about his customers and what he's building for the world. And just this idea, getting those struggles heard is a valuable part of what's missing, I think, today. And that's really why I'm doing this podcast. Well, I think it's a fantastic service. I think it'll be very interesting for business owners to listen to other business owners. And I think you're, you're on to some, a huge, uh, a huge uh, opportunity here to really bring that information out. Um, what else would you like to share uh, with, with people that might be listening or might be thinking about tuning into your podcast or being a guest? Well, that's a good question, Bill. Um, I am looking for a guest of other business owners who are willing to talk about their journey mm -hmm. and who have an interesting story to tell. And companies generally that are doing at least, they've been through the first phase of their startup. So they've grown from zero to a million, a couple million dollars in revenue. They've got, they've hired their first few employees. They've got six to a dozen, at least that many employees. So it's that startup phase at the next section of startup. That That's a key point to what you've learned and where you want to go. The next sector are, from my background, 
family businesses and the dynamics of a family business and how you've dealt with your being fair with your siblings and with their kids and with your father and your parents and how that's influenced you. And so there are those two types of, of entrepreneurs that uh, uh, the stories I'm attracted to the most come from those two categories. I think that's fascinating uh, information for business owners to listen to kind of peek behind the curtain as, at success stories that have happened that might help them. I know as, as I travel around in my consulting business, I talk to a lot of business owners who are saying, you know, I just don't know what to do about this. I wish I could talk to someone without them hounding me for a, a fee or a product. Right. And that's exactly where I was when I was in my early 30s and I was running the printing company. You know, I didn't know about running a business. I was a journalism major for God's sake. You know, I didn't know anything about running a business. And and here I am responsible for, for 40 employees and for all of this revenue coming in and my customers. So I, I gravitated when I heard first about Vistage. It was called Tech at the time, but yes. it became mm -hmm. called Vistage after that. And I, one of my friends who I knew from sailing, he said, hey, Don, I'm involved in this group. Why don't you come down and take a look at it? I did. I'm like, this is fantastic. I've got these guys who have wonderful experience of running companies, all different size businesses and, and a wide variety of background that I can bring my questions to. I mean, it was a great place to be. It was wonderful. I stayed in it for seven, eight years. Hey, uh, Don, one quick question back to Vistage for a second. If someone's listening and thinking, I might want to be maybe in a, a Vistage group, maybe in your one of your Vistage groups, what's the process for them to to learn more about it? Because you don't just take everyone that, that applies, right? No, very good point, Bill. We don't take everyone that applies. Um, we The first process would be to contact me or contact Vistage, vistage.com or uh, my website. You, uh, you can go to mycompanystory.com and find me there. And the first step is really an interview. It's a phone interview and or an in-person interview. And it's really to get a feeling for why does this individual want to join? And are they in the right place in their career to get the benefit of having the peers? And then the other part of it, which isn't really uh, thought about too often, is how, what will they bring to the table? What, were, what will their experience and their brains bring to the other 12 people that are in the room? So I'm really, a, um, I'm interviewing a selection of who is going to benefit the group and how can the group be stronger by having you involved? Not just how will you benefit from it, but how will you be benefiting us? That's terrific. And I can tell uh, anybody who might be uh, thinking about being a guest, the studio is incredible down here. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your, your, your well, asset, my studio. Your studio. Yeah, yeah. well, I, um, I've been boating all my life. I started sailing when I was seven years old, and I've had a, a dozen boats on and off. And uh, I bought this boat in Maine last year, and I decided, uh, well, I can use it as a studio. And so my podcasts are done from Onboard Spirit here in Long Beach is the well i think we're, we're just about pulling into port here uh, <laughs> is there is there any any last thoughts or, or ideas you'd like to leave listeners with today no bill i just want to thank you so much for being you're a great guest host i can tell you have your own <laughs> podcast and uh, i really appreciate uh, your your time doing this with it's me been a real pleasure getting to know you and your story is fascinating and, and best of best wishes and best of luck on your podcast great thanks bill thank you for listening to my company story i'm your host don burge if you liked what you heard, please leave us a comment and subscribe to hear more of My Company Story on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And go to our website, mycompanystory.com, to find more episodes.